Welcome back, Crimesters. It's Holly, and let me just start off by saying Happy New Year. I cannot believe that 2024 is already here. It absolutely blows my mind how fast last year went. I hope that everyone had a safe and fun New Year's Eve doing whatever your little hearts desired. Today's episode is not only the first episode of the new year, but also my first Missing Monday episode on my brand new podcast. If you're a new listener and did not listen to my old podcast, Missing Mondays is a segment that is dedicated strictly to missing persons cases. The purpose of Missing Mondays is to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media and to just bring awareness to these cases. A lot of these missing persons cases can be solved with people coming forward with information. Sometimes people might not even realize that they hold the key to solving a case. And that's why I feel it's so important to continue sharing their name and picture and information. You truly never know who might hear it or see it and realize that they actually saw something that is worth reporting. Missing people is something that I'm very passionate about, and the cases of the missing are the cases that usually keep me up at night. People do not just go poof. They are out there somewhere just waiting to be found. With these Missing Monday cases, oftentimes the information can be pretty limited, and they might not make for the longest podcast episode ever, but despite how little information there may be on these cases, I do feel that each and every one of them are equally important to share. Today's case is very limited on information, and I think part of that is due to it being an older case. Today's episode is on the New Year's Eve disappearance of Samuel Todd. Before I dive in, I just want to give recognition to a few places that I got my information from on this case. The first was an article that was originally published in the Connecticut Magazine in May of 1985. The article was written by Paul Keene and was titled Fugitive from God, Country, and Yale, The Disappearance of Sam Todd. The second article was published in the New York Times, and it was called New York Observed Without a Trace, written by Sam's good friend, Heather Dune McAdam. On that night that he disappeared, Heather actually was one of his friends that he was with. There are a few other articles that I used as well, but these two deserved the main spotlight and recognition since I used them most. I try my hardest to get the most accurate information, and unfortunately, there just isn't a lot out there, but this is what we do know. Samuel Arthur Todd was born on June 12, 1959 in New York City, and in his life, he moved around a lot. Shortly after his birth, his family moved to Taiwan. In 1963, they went back to New York City. In 1970, they moved to Geneva, Switzerland, and in 1977, he entered Vassar College in New York. 
After graduating from Vassar, he entered Yale Divinity School in New Haven in 1981. In between 1978 and 1980, Sam would take summer jobs that took him to Atlanta, Georgia, Zimbabwe, San Francisco, and Rhode Island. In total, Sam's parents had four boys, making Sam their third son. What I've gathered is that Sam's parents were social activists, and they participated and included their children in peace groups, candlelight vigils to protest the war in Vietnam, rallies, and many other things. Those who knew Sam, whether in passing or on a more personal level, all said that Sam was a very shy young man. He was described by some as being painfully shy and socially awkward, and a few even mentioned that he was a bit of a loner. Sam was known to be very quiet and would look down a lot. Sam was a lover of jazz music and was an accomplished jazz drummer. One of Sam's teachers from Yale Divinity School said that he was spacey and scattered, but those who knew and loved him most described him as being, quote, particularly solid and stable, end quote. And he was not someone who would willingly vanish like a lot of people have speculated. On New Year's Eve 1983, Sam and his brother Adam were in Chinatown in Lower Manhattan, where they met up with two other friends and had plans to attend parties all over downtown Manhattan. From what I gathered, they met up on a street called Canal Street at a friend's flat where the partying began. From there, they walked to 271 Mulberry Street, where a raging party was happening. On the walk to the party, Sam was in good spirits. He was making his friends laugh as he was leaping over parking meters and just being goofy. Once at the party, the drinking continued, and it was said that Sam was heavily intoxicated due to drinking both beer and vodka all night. He was, quote, twirling like a young colt, laughing and eating up the energy of the night, end quote. Sometime between 1 and 2 a.m., Sam had stepped out of the party to get some fresh air because he was breathless and sweaty from dancing. His brother Adam followed him out of the loft and was teasing him because Sam was pretty stumbly while walking down the stairs. Sam played it off like he was totally fine and began jogging down Mulberry Street towards Houston Street to prove to Adam that he was just fine. Adam laughed it off and went back to the party, leaving his brother to take a walk to cool down and sober up. Sam had been wearing blue jeans, running shoes, and a thin sweatshirt with the emblem and the school name Ecolent Geneve on the front. Despite it being below freezing that night, Sam had left his coat and wallet back at the party while he left for his walk. Adam went back to check on his brother about five to ten minutes later and couldn't find him anywhere. Unsure of what to do, Adam went back into the party and found his friends to tell them that he couldn't find Sam. Adam and two other friends went out in the early morning hours walking the streets of Chinatown and Soho trying to find Adam. They yelled for him thinking that he was hidden away somewhere, possibly passed out drunk. Initially, they really didn't think much of his disappearance and they actually thought it was kind of funny. They were all pretty intoxicated, and if Sam wasn't passed out drunk somewhere, they assumed that he had stumbled to a different area and found another party to hang out at. But come 4.30 a.m., they started to take things more seriously when they stopped off at a few other known parties, and Sam hadn't been at those either. 
Adam called his oldest brother, John, who was living and attending law school in Hoboken, New Jersey, to tell him that he couldn't find their brother. He drove into New York and teamed up with Adam and their friends and started calling hospitals and friends of Sam's that lived in and around the city. They also stopped over at their Aunt Doris Todd's apartment to see if Sam had gone over there to visit her like he often did while he was in town. With no luck at the hospitals or Aunt Doris's, Adam and John decided at 11 a.m. on New Year's Day that it was time to call police and file a missing persons report. Not long after filing that report, many of Sam's friends from both Vassar and his current school formed a team to begin searching for him, but still no sign of Sam. His brothers set up a command headquarters inside of a small church in Greenwich Village, and they coordinated with nearly 200 volunteers to distribute 20,000 missing posters with Sam's face all over them. On January 10th, one of Sam's lifelong friends who worked for the Herald wrote an article about Sam's disappearance, and it had featured front page on that day. Despite their early efforts, nothing belonging to Sam was recovered. Sam's on-again and off-again girlfriend from Vassar named Jill had told the New York Times when interviewed that Sam loves his family too much to just run away and start a new life. But many people speculated that Sam really did do just that. Had he wanted to run off somewhere, surely he would have taken his wallet and his identification card with him, but both were left behind in his jacket at that party. There was some stressors in Sam's life that leave people to believe that it is a possibility that he did just run off. Financially, Sam was struggling. He had been given money for his tuition and other expenses from his Aunt Doris, but he was still behind on his rent as well as grocery payments to his friend and classmate, Bo Weston, that he rented a room from. There was also the stress that Sam might not graduate college on time. In the years prior to him attending Yale Divinity School, the school had a very casual grading system. It was said that at one point there weren't grades at all and that everybody passed. But that all changed between 1983 and 1985, and a memo was sent out that caused a lot of students to stress. It was stated that you could not receive an incomplete, and if you had one on your transcript, it would mean a failure. The students at YDS went crazy trying to complete coursework at the last minute, leaving many students feeling panicked and stressed, including Sam. What's unfortunate about this entire case is that nothing of Sam's has been recovered to this day. He simply vanished into thin air without leaving anything behind. There have been sightings of Sam from all around the country, all of which were tracked down, checked out, and none of them were him. In the days after his disappearance, there was a report of someone looking like Sam at the homeless shelter where Sam had worked and volunteered at on the regular. But there was never any proof that it had been Sam that stopped off for a meal at that shelter. At the time of his disappearance, Sam was 24 years old. If still alive today, he would now be 64. He was 5 foot 11, 135 pounds, and was wearing a dark blue sweatshirt with a circular emblem that had Echolent Geneve on the front, blue jeans, blue sneakers, and a plastic Timex watch. 
He is described as a Caucasian male with light brown hair and blue eyes. He was wearing eyeglasses with dark frames and has a slim build. Sam has two small scars on his left cheek near his eye. It is believed that Sam may have been suffering from amnesia. This is still an active case for the New York Police Department, and you're encouraged to call them at 646-610-6914 if you have any kind of information on his whereabouts or what happened to him in the early morning hours of January 1st, 1984. Unfortunately, that is literally all the information that I have on Sam's case. I wish I had more to give to you guys, but make sure that you are a part of my private Facebook group called Crime with Holly Podcast Discussion Group. In there, I will share information and pictures pertaining to this case, and you can also find me and the same information over on Instagram at Crimeaholly. If you'd like more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at crimewithholly.podcast. I hope everyone has an incredible rest of your week. Happy first week of the new year. Always remember to be aware and take care.